Welcome to The Buzz with ACT-IAC, your source for the hot topics and top issues affecting the federal technology market. Join us each week to hear insights from government and industry experts, stay informed on the challenges facing the public sector, and gain access to valuable reports and thought leadership. Enjoy. Hi listeners, this is Colin Larson. As pretty much everyone has noticed by now, the global pandemic we're living through has caused enormous fractures in our supply chain systems. Between trade slowdowns, demand shifts, and labor disruptions, it's pretty clear that something needs to change. We may not know what form the next global emergency will take, but we do need to be prepared for whatever the future will bring. So, how can we build a more flexible, resilient economy in the face of an uncertain future? My guest, Kambiz Abdul-Rahimi, has some ideas. Kambiz is a global emerging technology leader with Deloitte and chair of the FinTech subcommittee at the Trade Finance Advisory Council within the Department of Commerce. This is the second half of my conversation with Kambiz that was recorded back in December. You can check out the first half by clicking the link in the episode notes. Let's, uh, let's move to a little bit of the supply chain, the broader economy. Um, I know uh, I've been reading uh, the New York Times lately. They've had several articles about high inflation, supply chain squeezes. This is something that's been uh, impacting Americans throughout the pandemic, but particularly in this year. So the pandemic has really exposed that our economy has a lot of vulnerabilities when it comes to the supply chain. Uh, very drastic shifts in demand between sectors, you know, manufacturing slowdowns, this kind of thing, international shipping. How do you think the industry is going to change to address some of these speed bumps that we've encountered, I suppose, to understate it in the past two years? No, I, absolutely. I, th- I think not only industry, I think government um, looking at sort of how our global supply chains have been disrupted, I think, you know, requires sort of a shift in kind of our way of thinking and way that we sort of prepare for the next crisis, right? So there's it's not as if like crises are going to go away. It's like the government, I think, and industry can do more to prepare for these sudden shifts, right? And I think that, you know, we saw this, right? I mean, with, with, the, with the pandemic, and now there's, you know, the, uh, the shortages with, you know, the, say the semiconductors, right? The microelectronics, um, which kind of fuel everything. They fuel our, you know, they're in, they're in everything. You know, they're in our computers and our planes and our trains in our, you know, mobile devices and everything. And, um, you know, a shortage um, or, you know, a, a, a disruption in, in those sort of global supply chains can cause um, a number of sort of destabilizing um, effects that I think will have us that we need to kind of, you know, I think, you know, rethink kind of these, these systems. We can do a better job with, with you know, leveraging data to, to identify and, and, and mitigate supply chain risks. I think that, you know, we have a lot more in automation. We've, we have, you know, AI, we've got, you know, as we say, sort of cognitive risk sensing, but just looking at kind of supply chain, you know, uh, disruptions, looking at sort of data analytics, at blockchain, sort of all of these kinds of new and innovative technologies that can, can illuminate um, sort of our extended, you know, global supply network, I think should be encouraged private sector is, is certainly using 
um, these sort of tools and, and technologies to to um, you know to 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 find you know create even create sort of alternative uh, supply lines as well. So I think it's just you know it's a matter of just like looking at these these new technologies and and looking at sort of the existing kind of systems and and how do we um, promote more and, and you know could these technologies could these innovations be used to promote and share um, greater information across supply chains. You know, so in the semi in the semiconductors, you know, space and the microelectronics space, and I use those words interchangeably. Looking at, you know, how uh, in in you know in in this particular you know say vertical where there's you know an an adjustment a shift in 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 the network that you know you want to be able to make sure that there's you know that information is being shared across the board into other supply chains as well because they they're they're components in in and in, in everything again all of our everything so uh, where do you think government comes into this equation um, because obviously supply shocks price instability these things affect consumers in a very material way and, and government should have a vested interest in trying to mitigate these uh, negative consequences yeah I mean I think I think government you know obviously has like an obligation through you know various authorities that they have, but, you know, whether it's for, for national security purposes, um, you know, a lot of these sort of supply shocks or, you know, um, can impact government operations. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's ensuring that sort of, you know, government as well, um, you know, does its part to, to, um, you know, encourage this sort of foresight and sort of, you know, looking at looking into the future as to areas where there's either there's gaps, in our current, you know, existing uh, supply chains, and air, and 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 where you know the government can step in to say, hey, we recognize there's a problem here with, say, in this in this example of like let's stick with the semiconductors. There's a problem with manufacturing here in the U.S. The problem is there's not enough of it here in the U.S. That it's it's done primarily overseas, and there's another and and in countries where we have we have. Uh, not so great relations with. So it's like, how do you ensure that there's a continuous supply? Uh, government can, you know, through all of its sort of authorities and and uh, the, the the power, if you will, of government could could um, could help with, um, you know, whether it's providing sort of tax incentives, financial incentives to companies to to open production manufacturing facilities here in the United States, so that we don't have to rely on a, a whole bunch of other countries to you know and 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 these like uh, the production of sort of these semis are like you know in, in a whole bunch of other countries so there's like something i read about like seven in 700 different locations like they're processed or something which is it sounds like ridiculous to me because it's like that's insane like that that requires that kind of movement um and and again part of the problem or part of the the reason I should say that the problem is that there there isn't enough you know manufacturing here in the U.S. Um, and it was never envisioned as such because it was always you know that the thought was that well you know there's this sort of global supply network and and it will be sort of continuous and it will be you know and and there won't be those kinds of disruptions but we have to face the reality we live in a different world you know today than we did um, I would say you know pre-COVID and also we just live in a different world that we have to always kind of be prepared for these sort of, you know, supply shocks, these demand shocks. Um, and I think that's where, you know, 
automation, innovation, analytics can can help um, can help government. I think government should should invest more, and I think is right now investing more in you know these sort of upgrading um, their digital tools, their you know both their physical, their digital infrastructure um, to to you know to to have again more visibility into into the supply chain for government um, for government purposes. But hand in hand with industry too, you got to work. You know, you got to work with the private sector as well, um, because you just no, nobody can do it on its own. You know, re- requires a sort of public private partnership. Right, and obviously, uh, looking ahead, the the next crises that will impact our supply chains, our economies, will it seems like likely be a result of climate change, which is extremely unpredictable, extremely volatile, and has the potential to cause massive amounts of damage. How do you think international trade can adapt to the threat posed by climate change? Are you talking about more like disruption in, in supply chain? You're looking for... Yeah, you know, I, I was just reading today because um, the New York Times just published this article that had, it's called Postcards from a, a World on Fire. In Panama, the Panama Canal became so low this past year that uh, ships weren't able to traverse the canal. Drought, storms, other events, changing climate, the, you know, these things are massive disruptions for our, our trade system. And I guess I'm just wondering, you know, is there, a techno- is there a technology, are there technological applications that can help deal with this problem so that in the future we don't have entire economies on a regional or global scale collapsing as a result of these disasters? Yeah, I think I think they're there definitely are technologies that are being used and, and, and developed today, you know, whether it's sort of, you know, leveraging kind of satellite technologies and next gen to, to look at to spot areas around the world in which there's going to be a potential climate uh, um, event um, that can sort of harm exactly like you're saying it could, you know, it could harm, um, you know, the, the movement of goods. And then that will, you know, so it, it is that sort of advanced, um, advances in sort of, you know, next gen sort of satellite technologies, but looking at, you know, how areas, again, sort of with climate tech. So if we're, if we're talking about sort of climate te- technologies to kind of predict, um, you know, predict, predict climate, um, uh, you know, hotspots, if you will, um, you know, these, these technologies are, are being developed, are in use today, but, but certainly not in the, you know, the way that kind of needs to be to, um, you know, prevent sort of a, a, a sudden shift in, you know, in the environment and that could close a potential canal, uh, so like the Panama Canal. I mean, that can cause like, you know, massive, you know, disruptions and, and bring sort of trade to a halt. So there are, there are certainly, I think, both, both industry and I think government is, are looking at sort of those new and emerging technologies that can, predict essentially, you know, could they, could they predict um, the sort of climate, climate event? That kind of answers your question, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it, there's certainly there, I mean, it exists, but it, it's nowhere near where it needs to be to kind of prevent this. I mean, we, we didn't have, I mean, you're talking about sort of here, you know, with, with, with COVID, the supply chain for say, you know, masks and gloves and, you know, things that, you know, should be fairly, 
obvious to to spot that you know these these are things that you know are we're going to need. We we didn't have sort of this sort of digitized supply network that we needed to have to be able to ensure the continue you know continued supply chain resiliency of these products that we we desperately needed or sort of the you know oxygen um, you know uh, containers and whatnot. So uh, yeah, I mean I, we have a long ways to go before we can get to that sort of fully a digitized supply network, fully automated, predictive and prescriptive, right? Um, but I think, you know, through sort of, um, you know, research and development, through, through, through public-private partnerships, um, through recognition of kind of the interconnectivity of the world that we live in uh, today, that it's, it's not just us or, you know, it's them, it's, you know, we're all connected in some way that we have to be we have to be prepared with a a more digitized automated supply chain uh with with more technological components with ai replacing human labor do you think there's a risk of of social pushback from from that kind of shift yeah i mean the social pushback i think there's always kind of a a fear of like, you know, hey, AI, you know, machine learning, these robotics, you know, they're going to replace like the human workforce. Um, and I think that that is, that is kind of an unsubstantiated fear. It's, it's not, it's definitely not the case. They, they cannot act independently the way that humans can act. Um, I think it's more of an augmenting tool, sort of looking at AI, looking at how it can enhance our human workforce to, to improve, you know, efficiency and, and productivity and, and, and safety in say our factories, um, in our warehouses or, you know, uh, call centers or, you know, transit or automation exists today. I mean, you've, you've you get on a plane and you fly, you know, cross country, which I'm planning to do tomorrow, flying in DC from, from San Diego and planes can fly themselves, which is kind of like, shocking to think about it. I mean, if you don't really kind of, you know, follow kind of planes and you're just like, you know, oh, planes can actually fly themselves. Yeah, they can. Um, and they are, but you have the human, you've got a, you know, you've got a human behind the, um, you know, in, in the pilot's cabin and is, is, you know, helping to oversee sort of that, that flight. And then um, this, these tools, these, these, these capabilities are helping, again, like augment, enhance them. If they were doing everything themselves, the, and which pilots are trained to do in cases of emergency, don't get me wrong, they should continue to be trained and, and, and everything and all of those things. But, but it, it just, it, it, it allows them to focus on sort of those tasks and, and things that require, um, you know, um, higher, you know, higher intelligence and more more of their brain, if you will, rather than sort of the, 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 uh, you know, the, the task sort of, uh, nothing is meaningless, but like, you know what I mean? Like sort of the, the, the lesser kind of an, an important tasks or cross checks and things that they need to do. So I think, I think, yeah, I think um, uh, to, for any sort of social pushback, I would say definitely there will be a displacement in sort of the workforce in the sense that, you know, if we take an ex if we look at sort of Uber, right? Uber came in, and now anybody with a car can essentially, you know, operate a taxi. So certainly there are, you know, existing sort of, you know, taxi drivers or taxi that that they whereas before they were making, you know, more money because they had more passengers. 
and now we're making less because there's more competition in in sort of there's you know in in the um there's more more you know there's there's more drivers but but that leads to again it's it's like you know adapting and evolving like we as humans you know we all kind of need to evolve and um and 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 these technologies these innovations are are evolving our you know things that we that are making things better like whether it's in healthcare i mean you you talk about sort of an innovation like you know the vaccine technology um, that didn't exist before. And, you know, because of COVID, you know, it was, it was kind of accelerated and now you've got, you know, MRNA technology that was, that was something that, you know, new that kind of saved, I want to say saved mankind, but in a way it kind of did, because, you know, if we didn't have, we didn't have the technology, if we didn't have that vaccine technology, um, you know, it would have, COVID would have been, uh, don't get me wrong, it's, it's still horrible and, you know, claims a lot of, a lot of people's lives, but it would have just been, exponentially worse so i think we we shouldn't be afraid of of like technology and, and innovation we should invest in it more you know we should guide it we should make sure that it's 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 um you know it, it's that sort of responsible innovation you know we it leads to um you know better outcomes for society for for mankind i will say as a counterpoint there has been significant social pushback to the covid vaccine as important and life-saving as it's been it gets political too, some, you know, unfortunately, but it's like that's with, with science as a whole. I mean, sure. I mean, there's there's some pushback, but the science is there. People can kind of judge and see for themselves that these vaccines uh, are life saving. And, and, you know, I, I don't I don't even know how to respond to, you know, the sort of push. But there is I, I understand there's definitely some there's, uh, you know, there is there is some pushback there. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Uh, so. I suppose I would include this all under the subject of economic recovery, uh, moving from supply chain to domestic industry businesses. Small and medium enterprises, uh, SMEs, have struggled considerably during the pandemic. Uh, they have less capital to deal with. They're less able to absorb these supply shocks. What are some ways that government and industry can work together to improve resilience among small and medium businesses? And I suppose as a follow-up question, why is it that they're so important to our economy? Yeah. So, so I love the question. Um, you know, my, my, my parents had a small business growing up. I, you know, saw kind of a lot of the issues and the struggles that they faced, you know, to whether it's to gain access to working capital, um, you know, whether it's to, you know, for inventory, you know, whether it's just like, you know, grow their business and, and getting customers and whatnot in competition and competing with sort of the bigger, you know, bigger businesses out there that can, can oftentimes uh, afford to, uh, you know, do things uh, in, in ways that, you know, small businesses just cannot, you know, because they don't have the same resources. Um, you know, I think, I think small businesses are sort of a, uh, they are, the driver for 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 innovation and 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 growth in in in, uh, in 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 our country. I think you know small businesses. I think I read somewhere they account for maybe seven out of ten jobs. Um, you know that number might be internationally, may not be in the U.S., but it's still a fairly large number. I would say you know small businesses are sort of that driver, that engine for for innovation and growth. A lot of these you know startups, and I consider them to be small businesses. At one point, you know, they were small businesses and they came up with some innovation, some creation, some new idea, um, and they were able to scale it. And, and you know, and now it's, it's leading to, you know, life-saving, life-saving technologies or, you know, 
helping you know benefit societies and, and communities and underserved communities. Um, so I, I actually serve on the uh, Trade Finance Advisory Council, which is um, within its house within the US Department of Commerce. And um, I serve as the chair of the FinTech subcommittee for this uh, trade, trade Finance Advisory Council. Um, and it was um, something that I was uh, recently appointed on um, earlier, earlier this year um, by Secretary Raimondo. And I should say, I should also add here that sort of my views, whatever I say around sort of this, my role in sort of this Trade Finance Advisory Council, it's just my views, my, my opinions, my own, and they don't, you know, don't attribute them to the Department of Commerce or IPA or the Trade Finance Advisory Council. Um, but, I, but I would say that we have been looking at this issue of how we can help, you know, small businesses gain access to, to working capital, um, and, and in particular within the, within the trade finance industry space, you know, this, this is certain, you know, this has existed for, um, for, for quite some time, and, and, it's, and it got even worse in, during the pandemic. Um, you know, larger, you know, larger financial institutions, they, they tend to have these you know, robust supply chain finance programs. They can provide companies with, you know, flexibility with, with favorable payment terms. Um, however, you know, um, the smaller, smaller SMEs, the smaller medium-sized enterprises, you know, don't have that sort of same luxury. So we've advanced a recommendation to commerce as part of the uh, TFAC or the, the Trade Finance Advisory Council that if, you know, vetted small business enterprises, their financial data was, readily um, available in a, you know, in an organized and efficient manner, then the costs, you know, to fulfill the needs of the SMEs from the perspective of those larger banks would be more appealing, right? Because currently there's, there's no uh, program, a unified program that, that provides, um, you know, capital providers with the confidence of underwriting, you know, small businesses while managing the associated risk. So this all comes down to sort of like, you know, the trust and identity and, and sort of, you know, these are small new businesses that have this, you know, innovative product or service that they want to sell, they want to trade, um, they want to do business in, and they go to, you know, a financial institution, they go to a bank, they want to get, they get access to working capital, money, investment to be able to sell and grow their business. And, and they're, you know, met with that sort of, reluctance or hesitation on the part of, you know, many um, financial institutions, not because they don't have like an innovative product or, or service um, and not because, you know, they, they can't scale this, but it's just that they, they've never done any business with them before. So it's like sort of that, you know, how can the government um, step in to help um, and, and, and private sector kind of step in and maybe with this sort of recommendation that we have, is like a, you know, a, a, a solution could be this like, you know, trusted digital portal or marketplace that allows small businesses, they can register, they can validate, regularly update their financial data. And then that'll result in lower regulatory, you know, compliance costs for the larger suppliers. So this portal can be like an exchange, it could be a marketplace between sort of like these financial institutions and these small businesses and, you know, other, other companies involved in sort of developing this kind of innovative digital solution, if you will, kind of a meeting place um, where they could go to. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is one area that I think um, 
you know, a lot of people are, are a lot of, a lot of policy, you know, lawmakers, government is, is um, keen on sort of solving and bridging that sort of trade finance gap because it is the, the rails on which trade operates on today. And there's a one point, I don't know, 8 trillion, I mean, crazy numbers out there, but like, you know, trillions in, in, um, in sort of this, this loss, if you will, in, in, in trade because of, of these of these issues, and obviously, I, I would imagine the government, from an uh, economic inequality perspective, the ability to create a business, uh, to entrepreneurship, is important for leveling the playing field for so many people. I would imagine the government has an investment in making sure that um, that's possible. Absolutely, and I think I read I read something in the New York Times the other day. It was you know, um, you know, they've been tracking sort of statistics, I guess, for a number of years around. Um, uh, uh, startups or, or, or people that have applied for for licenses to open up businesses, and I think this past year was like the highest number that they've ever seen since they've they've started this survey or this sort of you know they've collected data on this. And the data kind of shows also that a lot of the underserved communities, minority communities, are also kind of leading in terms of you know. Um, you know, starting new businesses for themselves, new online businesses, digital, you know, businesses. Um, so, you know, I think there is a there is that sort of recognition that in order for you know trade and and business to kind of flourish, there there also needs to to you know we need to do more to kind of solve some of these challenges again that that tr- startups and and uh, you know smaller businesses um, are facing. And, and, and try to help level playing fields. Well, that's just about all the time that we have. Uh, I know we covered a lot. Kamis, thank you so much for taking all of my questions. Uh, they were encompassed a pretty broad variety of topics, and you answered them all admirably. Um, any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Uh, no, I mean, I just uh, want to thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. And, um, you know, definitely want to give a shout out to all of my fellow Act I Act um, community uh, members, um, as well as, uh, you know, anyone who was in the uh, partners class or have done sort of the partners class, because I, I went through the partners program um, in 2019. It was a phenomenal experience and, um, you know, highly recommend uh, folks and your listeners to, to get, get involved in, in ACT Act if they aren't already. But thanks for having me, Colin. And that's a wrap on The Buzz with ACT IAC. Join us next week for more hot topics and top issues affecting the federal technology market. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on Twitter at ActIAC. More information about today's show can be found in the episode notes. For more insights, visit www.actiac.org. Thanks for listening.